The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Maria Wheatley. And I had the great honor and privilege to work with Maria in England, uh, dowsing some of the uh, stones at Stonehenge and Avebury and looking specifically at the ley lines that run through the landscape, uh, also in Glastonbury Abbey. And so I'm uh, delighted to have Maria on the show today. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Peter. Well, I'm always interested for our listeners to hear how people got involved in their particular spiritual practice. So how did this all begin for you? Well, originally, uh, it was all down to my late father, actually, uh, Dennis Wheatley. He was uh, a very good dowser and considered one of uh, the UK's top master dowsers. And basically, he showed me all the different techniques to do with dowsing and the kind of secret history of the Templars and Masons, and also showed me uh, the design canons that are encoded into the stone circles. And how old, how old were you when this all this took place? Well, we started going around sacred sites around the world when I was quite young, sort of about eight or nine, really. But it was great because uh, I got to see Karnak in France and sort of all different places, uh, really. So, yeah, from a young age, but I didn't really seriously take up dancing until I was about sort of 21. And that's when I really got into uh, trying to understand the discipline. And did you work alongside him at that time? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I had the great pleasure as well of working with some top Chinese geomancers as well to give a kind of Eastern philosophy to our Western understanding. So, yeah, I was very privileged. Great. Now, your dad's passed on now, and you've uh, taken up the mantle, and you're, and you're doing this work full-time yourself. That's right. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. I do tours and workshops and that type of thing, and uh, it's really great. I mean, my passion is working with the energies of the land. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you are. It's so important that we do carry on these traditions and these lineages, isn't it? Well, absolutely, because I think, you know, somewhere down the line, mankind sadly lost his connection with Mother Earth. And as I'm sure you're aware, Peter, yourself, you need lots of people that are just completely disconnected. And I think what's happening at the moment and over the past 10 years or so, really, is people reconnecting to the landscape. 
at, at sacred sites, you know, like Stonehenge, like the pyramids, but people need to connect again. Absolutely, and it's it's wonderful that this is happening, and it's great that you are one of the leading lights in the central south of England in doing this work uh, specifically. So be, before we go into the actual ley lines and vortex energies, it'd be great if you could explain to our listeners as a dowser, when you arrive at a site where you're going to do some dowsing, uh, just give us an overview of what you actually, what, how you set up, what you do, and, and how you do the dowsing itself. Well, once you go to a, a sacred site with, uh, with the intent of trying to interact with the energies and kind of understand the uh, signature of, of the monument, uh, if you will, it's a good idea just to have a couple of minutes, you know, uh, of quiet time and uh, maybe meditate or, you know, just generally get into a relaxed ambiance so you can start to almost feel the kind of rhythm of, uh, of the sacred side. And then you can use dowsing and your hands to feel for the energies, feel for the energies emitted by the stones and feel for the energies emitted by the land. And dowsing is a very easy tool that anybody can do. And it's literally using what's called uh, an L-Rod. An L-Rod is like a, a copper-nickel mix of, of metal shaped into the L shape, hence the term uh, L-Rod which you can literally hold and walk around with. And when it detects a particular type of energy, it will literally swing to what's called the found position. It tends to just like move in towards the body. And it's telling you you've located something. So you can literally walk around a monument, trying to detect the energies, but always with the intent of what you want to, you know, make contact with. So if I'm dousing for ley line, for example, Peter, I'll give that intent to my dousing rod, show me the nearest ley line. If I'm looking for earth energy, show me the nearest earth energy, and so on and so forth. And do you know how uh, scientifically that the, the, the ley lines and the uh, dowsing rods actually interact? Do you know the science behind that? Theories abound, and they have there are numerous different types of theories. But what seems to prevail uh, time and time again is the uh, you know the, our brains emit frequencies, hertz signals, so they're like alpha and beta and theta waves. And it seems that dowsing and our brains kind of literally synchronized at one moment in time, maybe through our muscles and our, our reflexes. And that gives the dowsing response. It's a sort of like synchronization between the energy. And we'll talk about the frequencies of energies later and our brains. That's one theory, but that doesn't explain something like map dowsing, where you have no contact with the land and you're just using a pendulum. So I think there's many different explanations for the ancient art of dowsing. And as you said right at the beginning there, you can actually use your hands in a similar way to, without using dowsing rods to, to detect the energies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, literally, if you walk around any uh, sacred temple space with the palm facing downward and you're relaxed, I mean, that's the most important thing and you're receptive, and literally walking around, uh, you will start to feel uh, a different sensation, sometimes maybe a pins and needles type of feeling, or perhaps your hand going hot or cold. And it's literally your own body, your own kind of auric space that's literally picking up on some type of energetic frequency that the land or the stones emit. So this piece that you're, you're talking about, I, I think, is, is really critical. And that is the state that you yourself are in. This, the word you used was relaxed ambience and having no attachment to the outcome and just 
at, at trying to be a neutral um, uh, receiver of information and energy. Oh, absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, you, that is perfectly said. Yeah, you, you are receiving the energy, so you do need to be in a relaxed state of, uh, state of being. And like you say, with no preconceived idea, because the rods are wonderful things. If you have a preconceived idea, they will willingly oblige. So you really <laughs> need to be, they, they do. I've seen it time and time again. The power of suggestion is a terrible thing in dancing because if you said to somebody, oh, there's a ley line over there, they'll, off they go and they'll find that which isn't there because their own kind of intent is almost like demanding of the rods. So it's better to be in like a free space, a space where you don't know the outcome. So let's, let's actually begin chatting about what you know about the geometric uh, earth energy patterns and the ley lines and the vortexes. I'll let you begin and, and tell us, uh, give us an overview perhaps first of how this fits together, then we can talk about some specific examples. Well, for example, our ancient ancestors were looking for different types of energies. This could be earth energies or ley lines. And wherever a site, you know, take Stonehenge, for example, uh, it would have to have particular types of energies in the ground, and that would be the first design canon that the ancient ancestors will look for. It gives power to the monument. It imbues the monument with sacred energy of Gaia. The rest then can come automatically, like, you know, in sacred geometry and things. The first design canon is the earth has to emit those sacred frequencies, that kind of uh, energetic field, if you will. And for example, once you root a standing stone into an energy pattern, which we'll discuss in a moment, or a ley line, or an earth current, we'll be discussing all of these. But let's imagine one moment that you put the stone into that type of energy. It starts to be able to absorb that energy and transmit it across the landscape. So it gives life to the standing stone. It gives life to temple space. And, and some of the... Uh some of the Stonehenge is a good example of, of where uh, some of the stones were transported over a significant dif distance from Wales, for example, in Stonehenge to bring the blue stones into the circle. Why was it so important to bring those stones from somewhere else? The blue stones are a very unusual type of stone, for instance, because they're three times more magnetic than any other stone in the district. So they are great transmitters. And I think that was one reason why the Stonehenge people decided on the blue stones. Blue stones are all also harder than granite. They're very hard to work. And today, you've only got to Google a picture of Stonehenge, for instance, and it looks grey. You see these almighty grey stones amid Salisbury Plain. That's not what Stonehenge originally looked like. If you take just the blue stones, for example, they were highly polished by our ancient ancestors. So much so that they appeared midnight blue, hence the term blue stone. And because they have white flexes of felspar in them, they sparkled like the midnight sky. They looked like a star-spangled sky. They were very, very beautiful, the blue stones. They were quite dramatic as well. So they were literally plugged into different types of lay energies and earth energies to give them life. Now, you've made a point of, of separating earth energies from ley lines, so can you explain that difference? Yeah, sure. For example, we'll take just like one ley system, as it's called, yeah, because if we go back to basics, just to sort of, you know, what's a ley line? Uh, 
A ley line is when five or more sacred sites are aligned in a linear fashion. That gives the name ley line. Yeah? Now, some ley lines are just that. They're literally topographical alignments with sacred site after sacred site aligned upon them. But some ley lines, major ley lines, such as the St. Michael ley line in the UK, very well documented. That is a huge ley line, 300 miles long. You've got the world's largest stone circle called Avrihenge at the exact center of that ley line. But more importantly, discovered in the 1980s by Hamish Miller and Paul Broadhurst, two fantastic researchers and dancers, they discovered that entwining that ley line in a conducive style fashion were two great, mighty earth energy rivers, like earth currents that entwined it and encoiled it. So imagine now the symbol of the caduceus. Most of us are familiar with that symbol, aren't we? Yep. Well, that's what that lay system looks like. It has a linear line with currents entwining them. And what Hamish and Paul discovered, for example, on the, they called these two currents Mary and Michael. And they called them Mary and Michael because remarkably, roughly every 10 miles or so on the Mary current, you had a church dedicated to the Virgin Mary or Mary Magdalene. And likewise, on the Michael line, you've got a church dedicated to St. Michael or St. George, representing the male and the female in the land. Now, wherever these uh, energy lines cross, Mary and Michael, was deemed very, very sacred. And that's where the real power in the land is. In ancient China, all of this was documented from 2200 BC, for instance. And they collectively called currents like Mary and Michael, yin and yang, earth currents, for instance, Lung Mei, the cosmic dragon's breath, the power in the land. Unfortunately, in the UK, we didn't document it because we were like bardic, we were Druid peoples, and we passed our information on orally rather than writing it down. So that's one type of lay system, but courses worldwide, you have a ley line and it's two consort energies. So, Maria, we're actually coming up to our first break, so I'll pause you there, and I've got a couple of questions we'll come back with after the break. It's Peter Tone for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I Am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com, with all the latest information. My April newsletter is now there with the actual end of our second round of the Landscape Zodiac with our final journey in Pisces and then going to the hub of our Zodiac. And also a tour that I will be co-leading, actually, in some of Maria's areas. I know she has a tour in July, which she'll talk about later. Uh, we're going to be dividing our time between England and Scotland, and we feel there's a really strong connection, which Maria probably knows about, between the ley line energies running through the south of England and running through Scotland. And we're going to be spending time in the heart of Scotland, Mount Shehalion, and uh, areas in uh, just outside Edinburgh and Glasgow, actually, and connecting with some of the ancient uh, Druidic sites there, as well as those in the south and southwest of England. So please uh, check that out at www.petertongue.com and also www.myheartcenterjourney.com, where uh, we have our Ambassadors of Light program, and we have a class uh, tomorrow evening at 5.30, where I bring information forward as up-to-date as we possibly can. And now back to Maria Wheatley, who is an expert dowser and has a wonderful understanding of the, the ley lines and the geometry that uh, affects us through the Earth currents. And just before the break, uh, Maria, you mentioned cosmic dragon's breath. I want to bring you back to that statement because that sounds really significant and important to me. Sometimes the ley lines and energy currents in England are also called dragon lines or dragon paths. So how does this interconnect? Well, the uh, dragon lines, they meander, for one, and they're very rarely straight. They literally meander like great mighty rivers, and they're the dragon currents, yeah? In uh, ancient China, they were personified to be a dragon and to be a tiger, for example, Then that's yin and yang, respectively. So the yin uh, energy was seen to be a great mighty white tiger, and the yang energy, the green dragon. So they, in China, they did not like straight lines. Chief travels far too fast along straight line, far too fast along uh, a ley line. So they may be good for the monuments, but they're not necessarily good for, for human health, for instance. So, for example, in ancient China, whenever they had a ley line, they put the monument on it to slow the chi down, literally. And just imagine in your, your mind, we all know what a kind of, your archetypal Chinese home looks like. It has almost like a horseshoe roof, doesn't it? It has a bit of a bend in it. Yep. And that's because they don't like the Western way that we build with a flat, straight roof. Qi would travel too fast along the top of your home, and that isn't beneficial according to ancient China. Anything that meanders is. So the dragon lines, wherever they bend and wherever they curve, that's the most auspicious part of the dragon line. 
So by slowing the energies down into those monuments and into the homes, then they would be capturing some of the energies it went through. They would be able to capture the energy, harness the energy, and disperse the energy. That's the idea behind the entire system when it comes to dragon lines or earth currents. So it's, it's almost like a, a natural engineering process to actually work with those energies as they flow through. Oh, absolutely. And this is what they were doing time and time again. So they'd look to certain patterns within the landscape. We'll have a look at it in, in a moment. Uh, called the geospiral, that's exceptionally uh, powerful. They would look for ley lines. They would look for dragon lines, and then they would center their monument there. Take a look at Stonehenge. Stonehenge is on a slope, yeah? So one side of Stonehenge, the stones are in the ground a foot more than on the other side of the monument because it's on sloping ground. Now, if you wanted to make life easy in engineering terms, if you went just 500 meters north of Stonehenge, you're on flat ground. But no, they chose not to build that monument there. They chose to build it on that very awkward ground because it has the energy patterns that can imbue Stonehenge with its power and life force. Now, just before the break, again, you talked about the, the caduceus and, the, and these snake-like lines crossing over each other in certain critical points, but they also go down in, in the ground and come back up to the surface, don't they? Oh, yeah, they're called nodal points. So, for example, if you imagine a dragon current, that's the one that entwines the ley line, either Mary or Michael, as they go through the land, imagine that an earth current is in the ground but also slightly rising above it. Yeah, so you're interacting when you walk through an earth current. You're literally walking through that energy zone. Now, what that current does, it flows closely on top of the ground, slightly below, and then at a crossing point, it enters the ground very deep, penetrating it with its energy, and then it moves along underneath the ground and it resurfaces. That's how earth currents interact with the landscape. They're, they're, they're living forces. That's what we need to think about these earth energies and these monuments. They have a life force and a signature about them. Now, one of the things that I, I heard recently, and I don't know any authenticity, I've heard recently that, that the energies that, say, used to be uh, in the stone circle of Stonehenge have actually moved somewhat. Do you have any understanding of that? Well, my experience of uh, Stonehenge and my experience of uh, Avery at the moment is like almost new energy systems are being born within these monuments. They are changing and almost they go in upper uh, frequency. Personally, I don't think the energies have uh, left uh, Stonehenge. They're just changing and they're transforming. I mean, just think how we've changed in our lives from being a baby to an adult. I think at this critical moment in time, the energies are changing. And what they can do is they seem to dissipate for a while. And then they seem to reboot themselves up. And I think that's what's occurring. And Stonehenge, a lot of people in the area that are working with that monument, saying that it's getting stronger. I know Richard Levitton, who's been on the show, talks about like the dimmer switch going up and going down as the energies become more significant in a particular site and then they have a period of uh, sort of regathering and then they come back up again, which, which would be in line with, with what you've just said. So oh, let's, absolutely. 
So let's go back to Avery, because I know it's a, a, stone, a stone circle that you know really well and intimately, and you live close by. And let's talk a little bit in more detail about the Avery Stone Circle. And you mentioned that geospiral just a few moments ago. Just, just tell our listeners about the significance of Avery in your understanding. Avery is very significant. I mean, like I, I briefly mentioned earlier, it contains the world's largest stone circle. It was a center of global importance in the ancient world. We know this because there are numerous artifacts from all over the world, from Egypt, from the Baltic. So people would come into Avery, and they would come into Avery for a variety of different reasons, possibly for healing, for spiritual development, to raise their consciousness. Uh, so people were gathering at Avery. It can contain thousands of people, unlike Stonehenge. Stonehenge, you can only contain a few people inside it. Avery is very vast. It contains a very large circle of 100 standing stones, inside of which are two smaller stone circles containing around about 30 stones each. And it had uh, two avenues of stones uh, called a megalithic avenue that led for one and a half miles across the landscape. And that's how you'd enter the monument. Imagine walking through an avenue of standing stones for a mile and a half. And as you enter the sanctity of the stone circle, there's two huge portal stones that you walk through. It's an immense sight that spans three and a half miles across the ceremonial landscape. It is vast and it is very big. I've, I've actually, as you know, walked uh, that, a section of that line uh, with the stones on either side and I could absolutely feel uh, this processional energy of the stones and people aligning uh, along that, that entry point where the Michael Mary line sort of come together as you move into the centre of the stone circle. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it's very powerful, but just before uh, the big portal stones where you enter Avery, there's another standing stone, and that standing stone is quite uh, significant because it's literally an outpouring of earth energy, yeah, and I've done some tests recently with, uh, with a wonderful guy called David Webb. We're looking at ionization uh, levels, and we're looking at radiation levels as well. And what we discovered by that stone, which my late father, by the way, called an exceptional PowerPoint. It was an earth spring. Imagine where earth energy comes out of the ground with great falls. This is what's happening at that stone. And at that stone, you have vast outpourings of negative ions. You move just 50 centimeters away or a couple of steps away and it drops back down to normal. Now what we think is happening at that stone, you're literally being bathed in this negative ions which are good for you. They make you feel good and like being cleansed before you enter the stone circles. So it's, yeah, so it's like an, almost like a purification before the initiation, before you go into the circle. Absolutely, and it's critical, that stone. It is, uh, serves a purpose. And when I take people to that stone, uh, they all say the same thing. You know, I feel cleansed, purified, as, as, you, as you say, and they feel good. And, and you, if you walk past it and just stand for a moment, you literally feel yourself raising up in kind of like energy and consciousness. And then when you walk the two energy lines into the monument, it's a wonderful feeling. And again, this is, this is doing this with conscious knowing as opposed to just random wandering in. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? 
Oh, oh, absolutely, because if you walk in through the energy lines and upon the energy lines after you've been cleansed by the megalithic energy and the earth energy, it changes your perspective. It changes your understanding. It changes you. Yeah. So you mentioned about geospiral energy earlier. Just explain what that means to us. A geospiral is a really powerful form of Earth energy. Just imagine uh, for, for one moment, literally a spiral of, of around seven coils, for instance. This marks a particular type of water that is deep, deep underground because I'm, I'm a second generation water diviner as well as I'm a dowser and all water diviners for centuries have said there's two types of water, yang and yin. Now geologists tell us that water falls from the clouds and it fills up the aquifers and it fills up the water table and it fills up the underground streams. That's right. That's what happens. That's yang water. Now, yin water is said to be born deep within the womb of Gaia. Gaia can produce her own type of water. Where this type of water is produced, it emits a spiral pattern. That's how a water diviner would be able to tell you the two different types of water. Now, where this water breaks through to the surface, for instance, that's your sacred spring. Where this type of water is bored in a well, that's your holy well. And the geospiral can literally spin Mary or Michael or any dragon line off course into another direction. It's that strong. It's also said to be all healing. And anybody that lives above the geospiral phenomenon, they receive healing and there's certainly documented evidence for that. So this actually can change the direction then of these ley lines or the energy currents in, in the way in which they were moving, now moving off in a new direction. That's right, and Hamish noticed that, and he reported it in one of his fantastic seminal books called The Sun and the Serpent, and he was confused as to why that should happen. And uh, my late father knew Hamish, in fact, Hamish, you know, forwarded a book of mine, actually, and uh, then he, he kind of interacted with this and realized it was the blind spring phenomenon, which is uh, essentially yin water. Wow. I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that explanation before. That's great, Maria. Thank you so much. We're coming up to our second break. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light, where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. 
Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank the uh, people at Voice America, Brandy, my producer, and Matt, who is engineering the show for us today, for their support in allowing me to bring this information through my highly gifted and aware guests to help us all on this uh, sacred awakening journey. So a deep thank you to Voice America for all that they do to bring this information forward to the world. And I have with me today one such expert, Maria Wheatley, talking about the ley lines and energy currents and some of the sacred uh, sites in the UK that she is familiar with. Maria, I just want to also for you to chat a little bit about, I know the stones themselves uh, emit energies and absorb energies in what appears to be like their own chakra system. Could you, could you explain about that to our listeners? Well, yeah, uh, basically from the 80s onwards, Uh, especially my late father, he always said that there were seven particular points on a standing stone that release and can transmit energy. And I likened it to the chakra system because there were were seven of them. Two of those energy points are beneath the ground because the stone is rooted in the ground and five of which were above ground. Now, when the standing stone is put into an energy pattern, let's say geospiral, for example, then it begins to absorb that energy and it starts to transmit it across the landscape. Now, my late father said that, and it's anecdotal evidence, although dowsing rods can pick up on it and your hands can pick up on it. So I decided to get some uh, equipment under the authority of Rodney Hale. He was uh, very experienced and worked with other uh, authors such as Paul Devereux on the Dragon Project and Rodney accompanied me to uh, Avebury and said, right, okay, if these standing stones are emitting electromagnetic energy, like you and your father say, then we can pick up on its signal and we can understand its frequency and we'll be able to record it. And that he did. Exactly on those kind of chakra points, which is on my uh, website under Megalithic Energy, if any of your viewers want to check this out, when he put his equipment over those nodal points, he got the frequency signal. And that frequency signal, intriguingly, is about 18 hertz, between 15 and 18 hertz. Now, our hearing, our ability to hear, is around about 20 hertz, for example. So I am sure that our ancient ancestors heard the energy. Heard the energy from the stones. 
heard the energies from the stones, yeah, and possibly could even hear the energies from uh, the ley lines and from the dragon lines because our tests have, again, come up with similar uh, hertz frequencies. So it seems to me that at certain times of the year, I'm sure that it could just up its frequency and certain people hear it. You hear the term, you know, the song of the lays, the song lines, the dream lines, as if somehow they're kind of, you know, communicating to us in one way, maybe through a sound and also through consciousness, I believe. I'd love to uh, hear you chat a little bit about the barrows because I know uh, there's West Kennet Long Barrow and there's Newgrange in Ireland. And, and what is the significance of those? Well, an archaeologist uh, will tell you that it's all about death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the King's Chamber. It's all about death. They were burial tombs uh, and they were burial mounds because they found in those skulls. But you see, that could have been a secondary interment long, long, long after the original monument had been built and perhaps its initial purpose long forgotten. For instance, when I take people to uh, Newgrange in Ireland, or indeed West Kennet, Long Barrow, uh, close to Avebury Henge, people do feel a certain energetic presence within these uh, monuments that kind of triggers things inside them. For instance, it often starts off by triggering a memory of your childhood, or maybe a memory that was strong, uh, uh, that you experienced at some time in your life, then more often than not, it seems to trigger something about a past life has been very uh, common. So it really kind of awakens past memories. And some people, for instance, pick up on, you know, ancestral memories. So it's literally, I think, some of the barrows were initiation chambers and they are definitely like uh, an earth energy Akashic record that you can tap into and learn from. And would they have been built again in a specific type of geometric uh, grid within the ley line system? Oh, absolutely. Most uh, long barrows are on kind of very small, uh, what's called branch spirals. If you imagine a ley line, yeah, meandering through the landscape and every now and again it sheds off a spiral yeah that's yeah. called a, a branch spiral and most long barrows are sighted upon those and intriguingly in uh, about 200 years ago there was an antiquarian called Sir Richard Coltall who investigated all the barrows in the Stonehenge environ now what he did when he he, he was ransacking them for gold really I mean it was it was a dreadful thing but that's part of uh, the, the history and he went to one particular barrow and he was literally shocked by what he found. He found a perfectly preserved uh, skull, so much so it had hair on it. And also its teeth he described as white as snow, yeah, and it was perfectly preserved. And it kind of creeped him out. So he asked his workmen to smash it to pieces. They took their sledgehammer and it was the third attempt and only on the third attempt that that skull broke. Now, it's always been known in ancient China that when you sight uh, a monument on a branch spiral, or kind of curly off uh, spiral, if you will, it's said to enhance your life. It's said to, you know, make you go live to a ripe old age, so to speak. And also to, to preserve, not just preserve the physical, but preserve the memory, the emotion. So these barrows are like preserving our history in a metaphysical way so it's a good idea to go and uh, do some quiet meditation inside 
Oh, absolutely. You know, if you want to understand something about your past, you know, in this life or something about a, a moment in time that you've been attracted to in another historical period, go there and simply, you know, meditate within the monument and you will pick something up. It will just come to your mind in its own way and its own time and inspire you in some way. You mentioned earlier on, Maria, about the uh, the node points and the Michael Mary line and all the churches that were built, the St. Michael and St. Mary churches. How, how did the church know where to build those churches? Well, you see, I mean, the Neolithic people, this is the people that built uh, Stonehenge and the like, uh, gave their information, if you will, to the Bronze Age people. And the Bronze Age people, you know, carried on making stone circles and in turn... They gave their information to the Druids and the Celtic peoples of the Iron Age, and that's about 750 BC onwards, who in turn, the, the learned amongst them, gave the information to the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar, in turn, gave it to the medieval Masons, and so the lineage kept going and kept the traditions alive. So when you go inside these churches on these, uh, on, in, in these energy currents and grids, presumably within the church, there are certain spots that are more significant than others in terms of those picking up those energy currents. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for example, to the ancient uh, ancestors that built Stonehenge, they liked the circle figure, as indeed the Templars did. They were very much into the circle. But early uh, Christians and Masons were into the cross, more than the circle so some of the churches are laid out with what's called the geo cross and that's where you have an energy line normally coursing down its axis which is uh, nine times out of ten east and west with another line crossing it that gives sanctity to the christian construct and that's what imbues the church and it's classified as protecting the church as well so that crossing point would be typically in the altar of the church? Not necessarily. It can be uh, across the south uh, door, towards the north door. It can be at the altar. It can be anywhere within the church. Normally when you enter a church, you can literally decode it uh, if it's got stained glass window and tiles on the floor because the tiles or the windows will tell you the story of the church and what's encoded in the church. is very, very intriguing. So, for example, in some churches that surround uh, Avebury, you literally have the Masonic dividers on the altar uh, pointing downward and to the Masons that represented spirit and matter, for example. And then you always have a flower. In, in a way, it's kind of like the flower of life, if you will. But it also represents a healing point or a point that can imbue an object with energy. And the Templars used to place their swords or an artifact there. And the same as the Masons, they would imbue the, the, what they wanted to give power to by placing it on that one particular point that's always depicted as a flower in the church. So, look, going through all of these different lineages and all these periods in history, were they all using the energies for the same purpose? I don't think they were using them for the same purpose, you know, because the uh, early Christians, I think, were using it in quite a pure way, for example. But I think it got corrupted uh, in, in Christianity and it became more of a control and more of a power thing. Because if you walk the geocross, that's the cross of earth energy in the land upon which the church was built, 
if you walk, I don't know, all churches used to walk around, you didn't sit in churches, that was a very late addition to make money because you'd pay more to sit at the front of the church. It was very late addition, pews and, and chairs. used to walk ceremonial around the, the church along the Geocross line. And again, you know, towards like the 14th century onwards, only the bishop would walk that line. It's called the wet and the dry run, and he would walk that, and he alone. Wow. <laughs> they had lots of advantages, the old priests, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's why they've always got podgy bellies, and, and they look really healthy. <laughs> Marie, we're coming up to our final break, which we'll take now. It's Peter Tong for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porosik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Having a fascinating discussion today with Maria Wheatley, as you can understand as listeners, has a profound understanding of ley lines and energy currents and standing stone circles. So Maria, just uh, let our listeners know how they can connect with you through your website and just tell us about um, exciting things coming up for you. Yeah, sure. Well, you can connect with me on www.theaveryexperience.co.uk. And if you want to find out about any of the tours that we're doing, you can go to Infinite Connections. And really where I'm going with Earth Energies is I want ancient wisdom to be applied for a modern generation. So where I'm going now with my work is I'm looking to, at architects who are supporting me 
to integrate these energies into our lives. So imagine for one moment, I was talking about the geospiral, that sacred water emits a healing energy. Imagine if our hospitals were sighted over that energy pattern. In churches, the Masons and the Templars knew, and make no mistake, there's learned people on this planet that are integrating this grid system still. And they know that what's called the third global grid can enhance our power of communication. That's why pulpits in churches were placed on that particular point. So that can enhance our power of communication. Imagine if we put our autistic children, our dyslexic kids, onto that earth grid to help them uh, blossom into uh, their greatest potential. So I see us working with earth energies to better our lives and the lives of our children. And, 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 and I, I so applaud you for that because that's exactly what's needed and, and, and the significance of these energies and actually using them in a positive way in the world. Um, and presumably... There, there must be a world network that interconnects these energies through the pyramids, through the ley lines, the great circles. So all this interconnectivity of the work you're talking about in the future can interconnect around the globe. Absolutely, because there is no separation. You know, there's numerous grids that are engulf uh, Mother Earth. There's numerous lines. Mary and Michael, for example, go through Ayers Rock in Australia, Lake Titicata. They flow globally. So we don't see things as isolated. They're, connect they're making connections all of the time in this global grid. Now, the ancient priesthood were fully aware of that, that uh, concept. So they just integrated all of the sites worldwide. And so the work that you're planning to do in the future to use these earth energy grids and to work with uh, th those sites and potentially with architects and with hospitals and, and with the nurses that work in them. Um, how, where are you in that in terms of how far along you are? Well, uh, once a year I give a very long uh, workshop to some American nurses that come over from America. I'm working with two architects at the moment. We're putting a ground plan uh, into place uh, for a healing center, for example. And also, I was talking about, you remember those uh, coil of the dragon, those spirals that are found in the long barrows? Yes. Both the all ancient uh, cultures and strong ruling families and the elite on this planet look for particular patterns to place their deceased upon. It, it continues your power and your lineage, yeah? And it also releases what's called earth karma. It helps you release your karma a bit. Well, I've been working with top... Uh, landscape artists in uh, Liverpool, for example, and in Africa to bring back those ancient death rites to the common person. And we've designed some fantastic looking futuristic uh, uh, places of rest uh, for, for the deceased so that people have the chance to do exactly what the elite on the planet are doing. This is shared wisdom now. They can't hold us back. So these elite families that you're talking about have been using these energies for their own benefit uh, secretly, basically, in the past. Oh, absolutely. You look to ruling families of Europe, like the Habsburgs, for instance. They have had control since the 14th century. They have catacombs in Vienna, and all of which are aligned on what's called the seventh global grid system. It's an intense grid system that's always linked into death rites. Their catacombs are on that grid system. 
So that, in, in fact, in some ways, after the person has passed, they're still there. The lineage is still being generated through them. Yes, you live and you die with the earth forces. The, the idea behind the, one of the Masonic uh, secrets of nature. So in ancient China, you see, it was more important to find out where you'd place your deceased than your house, oddly enough, because if you were a ruling uh, dynasty, you'd want to continue to rule, literally. Wow. That sounds like another show altogether, <laughs> Maria. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to... We've got a couple of minutes left, and I'd love to finish, because I, I had a wonderful experience last year uh, at the Roll Wright Standing Stone Circle in Oxfordshire in England, and it just felt to me like it was, it was a fully functioning stone circle still today, and, and I'd, I'd love you to talk about it if you know much about it. Oh, yeah, I've studied Roll Wright for many, many years, and my late father studied it for 25 years and was considered one of the UK's top authorities on stone circles, including Roll Wright. You see, to all ancient peoples and modern-day occultists, the circle is all-powerful, yeah? I mean, even if you draw a circle on a bit of paper, that, as crazy as it sounds, will start to generate energy. If you, like an old occultist of the Victorian era, if you put a circle of salt on the ground, it starts to give off energy. Now, a stone circle acts exactly the same. If it's complete and in a circular shape, it transmits what's called form energy. And it's like pulsing different types of energy outwards and inwards at the same time. And at a stone circle, like roll right, you always get one offset standing stone. You do Avery. And that's called the exit gate. And that's where all the energy is going round and round and round the circumference of the standing stone. And it spins off at an almighty speed to the next stone circle or the next uh, standing stone. And at roll right, if you stand at that exit gate, you even if you're the most insensitive person on the planet, you feel a force if you stand there for about three minutes. It's truly remarkable. And that form energy is also said to be able to manifest things. Now, just by roll right, you have what's called the spook road, yeah? And it's called the Spook Road is because there was a group of scientists trying to figure out what's going on at Stone Circles. And they literally used to sometimes, you know, eat their lunch and camp there. And they started to literally hallucinate some very unusual experiences, one of which was a gigantic black dog was seen. Gypsy caravans would manifest. People would uh, manifest all around the place. That's why it got its nickname, uh, the Spook Road. <laughs> That's because the uh, stone circle is generated. Roll right is on full power, yeah? And sometimes it can really go up uh, a gear and its exit gate can become too, too powerful at times. Each one of those stones as well in the stone circle has a polarity and it will go like male, female, male, female, you know, round the entire stone circle. And they too are given off energy. And opposite roll right, you have a stone called the king stone. It's an outlying stone. And that receives a lot of the energy. It is, uh, a, like you say, Peter, it's magical and it's a fantastic site to go to. Roll right is my favorite place to dance. Ah, great. Well, Maria, we've come to the end of the show, and I've really enjoyed this time with you. It's been a great hour spent with you, and I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed it as well and also gained a great deal of insight. And I really wish you well with your projects for the future because it's so important that we do use these energies in an effective and helpful way for the future. So thank you for being yourself, and thank you for doing the show today. Oh, thank you for having me.
Well, my guest next week is Greg Sams. He returns to the show. Greg has written a book called Son of God and talks about the consciousness of the sun. And as we go through the shifts that are taking place on the planet right now, the consciousness of the sun and the consciousness of Mother Earth, of Gaia, and our interaction with them is absolutely critical. So I'm delighted that Greg is returning to the show to talk about that. And I hope you have a great week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tung for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.